Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Garfield, and this is Thursday, March 17th, 2016. And to those of the Irish persuasion, a happy St. Patty's Day to you. Tonight we start the conversation on mediation, modification, and settlements with the banks and servicers keeping in mind that we are dealing with people who most likely do not have any financial interest in the performance of the loan and do not have any authority to mediate, modify, or settle any dispute regarding any issues regarding any loan, despite all their assurances and documents to the contrary. That alone is a problem but there are ways to at least reduce the risk of that problem. And we start with the premise that neither the banks nor the servicers have any interest in acquiring the house. And to top it off, they have no interest in getting payment from the borrower. As I've mentioned before, even a direct offer of payment is frequently met with silence because they don't want that money. They want the foreclosure because it's only in the foreclosure where the servicer is able to make a claim, which is never disputed but could be. Servicer is able to make a claim for the recovery of servicer advances. So, as we have found out so far in 14 cases, and I have a few more variations in in progress right now, um, the banks and services have actually argued to a judge that they're not required to take the money. They want the foreclosure. And in every case, the judge, no matter how right-leaning or bank-leaning they were, rejected that argument because this is all about money and it's not about a foreclosure and it's not about a house unless the money doesn't get paid. And where the money is offered, obviously, that's the issue. So if you're involved in any negotiations that involves mediation, modification, or settlement, 
make sure you read every word and by all means take it to an attorney because what you're reading and what he or she will read are probably two very different things. Very important, as I've emphasized in litigation, it's also true in transactional settings that you consult with an attorney who is competent in that area and knows the uh, general context and knows how to put documents together. And, for example, watch out for those hidden balloon payments in the modification. They may tell you that your payment is $700 a month, which looks pretty good, and then when you thumb down through the paperwork, it turns out that there's a balloon payment of $200,000 that may be 20, 30, or even 40 years down the road. But they'll come up a lot faster if you try to sell or refinance the property. That balloon will be due. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog or call 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. We put a lot of effort into this show and to the blog to get as much free information out there as possible. If this show has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. And, of course, if you're looking for active assistance in rescission, litigation, modification, mediation, settlement, then call our numbers and schedule a consult, a review, a report, or all of the above, or whatever it is that you need, guidance and consultation as you go along or as your attorney goes along is one of the many things that we do provide to the attorney. We provide your attorney with the latest information on what's happening, what is getting traction, and bare-bone facts on the origination, acquisition, and enforcement of each loan submitted to us. Lending Lies, which you've been hearing from me, is the new platform that we are launching and already using for the business end of this enterprise here. And the full platform will be launched uh, in phases as uh, it is completed. Um, Some parts of it are working already. Hopefully, at some point, you will be able to create your own qualified written requests, your own debt validation letters in preparation for actions for violation of the Truth in Lending Act or for the... Um, uh, Uniform Debt Collectors Act and the state equivalents and be able to complete other documents uh, uh, when the platform is completed. In the meanwhile, it will be used for scheduling consultations with me and ordering services.
After nearly 10 years of doing this, we know how much time on average is spent and on, on each project, and our vendors and our analysts have worked with us to provide a flat payment for services instead of uh, billing people uh, on an hourly basis or monthly basis or whatever to reinvent the wheel every time. I know that years ago, expert witnesses were being paid between $25,000 and $40,000. We've worked it out so that you can get the basic work done for a flat rate varying between $2,500 and $5,000, which is a tenth of what it used to be. In order to support that effort, we need your business, your donations, and I'm asking for it now. Living Lies, with 11 million visits, is the number one place on the Internet to get information, forms, facts, and opinions from a variety of sources on foreclosure defense, consumer loans, and even student loans. Our mission is to share as much free information as we can to help homeowners and other consumers who find that in addition to a house or a car or a TV that they bought, they also bought a very complicated financial product. And we are succeeding as more and more lawyers across the country smell blood in the water. When I started back in 2007, I literally could not get one lawyer in the country to represent homeowners who had the money to pay the full fees and who had good defenses. They just didn't believe that there was such a thing as a real defense to the foreclosures. Well, we found that out, that out to be very different. And not only have they used my work uh, uh, to create winning strategies in both foreclosure defenses, rescission and foreclosure offense and so forth, and claims under the FDCPA and for wrongful foreclosure, there are many people out there who, uh, on their own or building on what I have created, uh, have gone further and created their own niches, and I applaud them. There is gold in those so-called bank errors that I have said from the beginning were intentional. I know how those banks work. Long ago, I was one of them, well, one of the people uh, uh, who, who worked with and for them. On Wall Street, as an investment banker, as a broker, as a director of institutional sales, and as uh, uh, the director of research of brokerage companies. And I did quite a bit in mergers and acquisitions and initial public offerings, uh, IPOs, which is exactly what these trusts are supposed to be about, but they never were. And at another program, we'll go into that too. Let me remind my listeners here that nothing stops a foreclosure except a court order. No letter, no pleading, or anything else will stop the foreclosure from proceeding or stop the forced sale of the property. In a bankruptcy petition, the order is automatically issued as soon as the bankruptcy is filed. The same logic applies to rescissions. Remember, rescission is not a claim. 
This is where everyone seems to be having some trouble and getting twisted around an axle. It is a fact once it is mailed. The only aspect that is a claim is that you mailed it, and that is presumed from the date of the letter if it was mailed by U.S. mail and proven without doubt as to its receipt by getting a response or by sending it U.S. mail return receipt requested. But if you just have a date on the letter and the uh, there's testimony or evidence that shows that it was mailed, the presumption is that it was mailed and that it was received in most courts. No court, no bank, and no servicer is allowed to ignore a rescission. The rescission is by law effective, and it's effective by operation of law, same as a court order. And that means the note and mortgage are void, not voidable, and not subject to some claim of being void. They're void. They're a nullity. Read the Ivanova case in California, which obviously only governs California, but I think they expressed the rule uh, and cited to cases uh, throughout the country. Every one of those motions directed against the rescissions means nothing, and every one of those rulings by trial courts is compounding the error they made in the first place which required the Supreme Court of the United States and Jessenowski versus Countrywide to say, stop, you're doing it wrong. Well, it seems the trial courts are still resisting following the instructions of their boss, the Supreme Court of the United States. The court may not rule on foreclosures without going step-by-step step through the teal of rescission steps in 15 U.S.C. 1635. So, okay, let's turn to mediation. I've had some experience with this, actually a lot of experience with it in 39 years of law practice. What is it? Well, mediation is basically uh, a meeting at which you discuss settlement. But the way it is being worked in, uh, in reality in foreclosures is that the court orders you into mediation and the bank or servicer shows up with a package and they say, if you're interested in modification, fill this out. We'll let you know later whether or not you qualify. That's not really mediation. And I've started to turn up the heat on this, and I suggest that the attorneys listening to this do the same. The order requiring people to go to mediation means whether the order states it or not, because it's in the MEAC opinion um, uh, for, for mediation. It means that both sides show up and that the parties for both sides that show up have full authority to settle within reasonable bounds. So I've had numerous instances in which I showed up and my clients showed up, the homeowners, and who shows up? A servicer. 
and uh, I, I, I even had one instance in which um, the uh, person from the servicer appeared by phone, and there was an attorney there, and I asked uh, uh, the the mediator asked people to state their appearances. I said Neil Garfield here for the defendants. My client stated their names, and then the lawyer said her name, and she said she's there on behalf of the servicer. And I said to her, you mean you're here on behalf of the servicer and the plaintiff? And she said, no, the servicer. So then I asked the guy on the phone who he represents, and he said the servicer. And I said, well, do you mean that you represent the servicer and the plaintiff? He says, no, I represent the servicer. So there was no appearance by the plaintiff. The basic assumption wasn't there. And upon further questioning, I discovered that this person really had no authority at all except to do what I said before. Here's a modification package. Fill it out. We'll let you know later if you qualify. That's not mediation. That's not negotiation. And it can't be negotiation because the other side doesn't have the authority to negotiate. So an appropriate thing, I believe, is to file a motion for sanctions because the plaintiff didn't appear at mediation. And like I said, I'm turning up the heat on that. I don't have uh, any specific case decisions that I can point to, but I'm pretty sure I'm right, given the reaction of the judges when I brought this to their attention. So that brings us to modification. Modification is, of course, a problem, and even uh, a mediated settlement where you, where the homeowner pays some cash. Who does he pay it to? Um, and what is he getting in response? Is the satisfaction of mortgage actually going to be a valid document of record, or is he going to have title problems later? These are all issues that have to be worked into the mix to determine whether or not you really want to go forward with that. And with these modifications, the majority that I've seen, not all, but the majority, the vast majority that I've seen don't actually spell out the terms. They don't tell you what the new principal amount due is. They don't tell you what the interest rate is. It's hard to determine if whether or not this is a refinance. It would seem that some disclosures under the Truth in Lending Act or state law might be required. Uh, which ones have yet to be determined, but these are things that are going to come up in the future. And then way down at the back, you'll see that even though it looks like they've given a principal reduction, they've offset it with a balloon payment of hundreds of thousands of dollars sometime in the distant future. But that distant future becomes front and center and present. If next year you want to sell it, that whole balloon is due. So the so-called principal reduction is an illusory 
reduction of principle, not a real one. So what do you do with these things? Well, one of the things that happens and why I recommend people to go into mediation and even explore modification is that, first of all, it is possible that an agreement might be reached. And frankly, I've been involved in many of them. And what we did was take certain risks based upon representations and warranties from the other side, which we knew probably were not completely correct or true, but were unlikely to be challenged in the future. So we went ahead and uh, those modifications that have, for example, principal reductions in phases where the first year it's so much and the second year it's so much and the third year is so much, that's okay. And the fact that there is a balloon provision at the end uh, only covers the fact that if you sell the property before the phased reduction of principal is over, if you sell the property before that, then the full balance is going to be due less the, the principal reduction that you've already earned. So modifications can be an answer, but the problem is that none of the banks and services want to do modifications. They want to do foreclosures so they can co-collect those servicer advances, which frankly were paid out of the funds of the investor. But that's another story. But they will try to steer, and they have been steering people into deeper and deeper defaults so that they can't get out of it and reinstate so that they can foreclose by offering what appears to be a path to modification. They also automatically turn down HAMP modifications without actually explaining why, or they say that the investor turned down the proposed modification when they never contacted the investor. Now, there has been some litigation on that issue, and uh, where the allegation was made that they never contacted the investor and that they're actually intervening between uh, the debtor and the creditor, suddenly a new offer appears on the table. And we've seen some very substantial offers and, and, and deals that were made because of these kinds of shenanigans. But I think it is important that homeowners know exactly what they're getting into and that they don't basically repeat the mistakes of the past where they didn't understand the complex financial product that they were buying into when they first closed or refied or whatever it was it was the last deal and uh, and now the uh, the amount of the principal, the amount of the interest, whether interest is accruing, whether the balloon payment 
is just a balloon payment without interest, uh, two hundred and you know, uh, two hundred thousand uh, dollar uh, or one hundred fifty thousand dollar balloon payment uh, that's not due for thirty years might only be have a present value of thirty thousand or forty thousand uh, dollars. These are all things that you've got to find out with the help of competent people who know how to make these calculations so that you don't end up in the same with the same problem that you had before. Are disclosures required? Yes, I think that they are. Um, is this a refinance? There's conflicting authority on that as to what parts of a modification of an existing debt are subject to the rules of lending um, as in the origination of lending. But I'm quite certain that some disclosures are required, and one of them has got to be the identification of the actual creditor. If you're going to pass that one up, because the deal is good, and we've had situations where uh, the offer was a 90% discount off of everything that was being claimed. Um, if that's the case, then there are certain risks that you may be willing to take uh, in connection with claims from third parties later. I don't actually think those claims from third parties will ever materialize because of the uh, the way that the Wall Street banks commingled the funds from all investors in all trusts uh, into a group of accounts that were never controlled by the trustees or the trusts. I am firmly of the belief that nearly all of the REMIC trusts, and for the purposes of this conversation, I'll simply say all of the REMIC trusts, were empty. They existed on paper because somebody put some ink on paper, which is fine under New York law. But like all states, that trust does not legally exist unless there's something in it. If that trust is operating as a business, if it has a bank account, if it has financial statements, if it's acquired assets, then that's fine. Then it exists. But what we had here, and this is just a little teaser for future reference, is you have the Wall Street banks creating the company that is issuing the uh, certificates in an initial public offering, an IPO, and where the entity is actually fully controlled by the Wall Street Bank. So when the certificates are sold and the money goes to the Wall Street Bank instead of the Wall Street Bank having to turn over the proceeds of the sale of the securities that were issued by the trust, Instead of them having to turn that money over to the trust, they didn't do that. And that's why, that's one of the fundamental reasons why 
you had all of these fraudulent papers and all of this effort on the part of banks and servicers to avoid showing the money trail because the money trail will show that there is an undifferentiated group of creditors that owns the debt and that there is no scenario currently under which the banks or the service or anyone else can identify a creditor and a creditor's money with any specific loan. And that's why I've been pushing so hard on rescission because I think it's a bullet that pierces through a lot of those veils. Well, thank you for listening, and I'll be back with you next week. My pleasure, as always. Keep reading. Keep working. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.